What do marketers find frustrating about writers that they work with? And what can we do to make things better for them? Ooh, can't wait to get into this one. Let's ask Sally Adam from Sofas. You are excessively welcome to B2B Q&A, the podcast where we go in search of an answer to your question about B2B content writing. This is episode 109. In a few moments, we're going to hear from Sally Adam, uh, content and marketing leader at Sofas, uh, as well as a few other B2B marketers. And they're going to be telling us about the most annoying thing about briefing a copywriter and what we can do about it. Um, we're also going to hear a copywriting pro tip from Vicky Ross, so good for you. Um, and we'll get some inclusive writing advice from Eddie Bailey King. Before all of that, though, who the hell are we? Uh, well, I'm David McGuire, Creative Director at Radix Communications, the B2B tech writing agency. And our guest co-host for this episode is a B2B tech writer, consultant, speaker, all-round agent of chaos, Harendra Kapoor. Harry, welcome. Hey, man. Thanks for having me on. Hey, how are you doing? It, it, you, you, for the, the listeners who don't know, you, you were head of copy at Velocity and doing your own thing now, right? Yeah, yeah. Just freelancing my little butt around town. Um, that's that's <laughs> kind of what I've been, been up to. And uh, yeah, it's, it's gone much better than I thought because it's like leaving a successful agency with this like fancy title and stuff is like in the middle of a pandemic, maybe recession type of deal <laughs> when I did it. Perfectly so it just felt like, yeah, yeah, like th- this could go horribly wrong and uh, it hasn't. And I'm very grateful for that. So, yeah. Oh, I'm, well, I'm glad to hear it's going well. Couldn't happen to an, a nicer chap. Um, but before we get on with this serious business of answering the question for the episode, uh, would you mind uh, doing your first duty as guest <laughs> co-host uh, and telling the listener how they can get in touch with us? Yeah, sure. Um, so, listener, if you have comments or suggestions, you can find Radix on LinkedIn or Twitter. At Radix.com but if you want us to answer your question on a future episode, then uh, record a quick little voice note and send it by email. Podcast at radix-communications.com. That's perfect. Thank you very much. Copywriting Pro Tip. Hello, my name is Vicky Ross and I'm a copywriter. One of my favorite copywriting tips is something David Abbott once said. He was one of the best copywriters in the world, so he knew what he was talking about. He said, sometimes the best copy is no copy. I say that's absolutely true, but sometimes you need a copywriter to say so. I hope that helps you when you're writing or when you're telling someone why you don't need to write anything. Love that from Vicky. Uh, So much of the best stuff a copywriter does on like any kind of project is wordless and invisible and like choosing not to do something and uh so it's really good of her to call that out because like so much of of this is about like restraint even um but anyway let's get to the q a part of b2b q a we'll start with a very familiar voice hi radix it's fiona campbell house here freelance b2b tech content writer So we hear lots on social media about what writers find frustrating about their clients, but I'd be really intrigued to hear things from the client side. What do marketers find frustrating about writers that they work with and what can we do to make things better for them? 
Hello, Fiona. How lovely to have your voice back on the show. Listener, in case you're new around these parts, Fiona actually founded Radix and used to co-host this very podcast. Uh, And as you'd expect from Fiona, this is such a good question. The only issue is who'd be bold enough to talk to a copywriter about the most annoying things that copywriters do? Well, actually, more people than you might think. Um, To start with, uh, I spoke with Sally Adam, who's content and product marketing leader at the cybersecurity company Sofas, uh, and I asked her Fiona's question, what do you find the most frustrating thing when you're briefing a copywriter? I think the most annoying thing is when the copywriter doesn't listen to what you are looking to achieve with the piece. Um, usually you've got a lot of goals, a lot of things you you want to do with it. And sometimes you can see the copywriter isn't really listening. And you, when the piece comes back, you can see, see it's a case of, okay, I had this thing that I knew on this topic that I wanted to write about. And I've just written what I wanted to say on this topic rather than what we needed to achieve with this particular piece of work. Why do you think it is a copywriter would do that? Are they just trying to kind of add value, ironically, or are they trying to kind of show off how much they know, or do they think they know better than you? I think it's probably a bit of all of those. Often when you've been writing on a topic for a while, you build up your own knowledge, your own experience of the of the topic, and suddenly your, your mind runs away and you're thinking, okay, actually, I've got some experience here. I've already done this. I've I feel comfortable writing about this particular element because I've done it before. And so there's a bit of a case of, okay, this is this is an area where I've got some expertise that I can bring in or I enjoy writing about that. But also I do think there's a piece of, okay, this could be helpful or I can use my knowledge here to extend the piece. And sometimes that's great. You know, what is wonderful with a copywriter is when they're joining together the different briefs you've done over a period of time and they're linking up and thinking, okay, well, we actually did this piece and that ties in with something she's mentioned. Let me ask her if, you know, it's worth us joining these together or should I reference them? And I love that when when people are are piecing the, the puzzle together and helping extend the story and and connect elements. It's the challenges when um, there isn't the check and the copywriter goes off and puts a load of effort in and you're excitedly waiting for the piece because you've got a deadline. And when it comes back, they're not matching up. So the thing there that the copywriter should be doing that they're not doing is to check with you. Is is, Is that really what you'd like you'd like to happen in that situation? Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, play back the brief. um, And I try and do that myself when I'm getting tasks at work is, you know, play back and make sure I've understood correctly what we're we're being asked for. Um, But and also, you know, as you have other ideas, as you have thoughts of connections or ways it could go, do check in. You know, as someone who's doing the briefing, you'd much rather have someone ask that question and say, you know, is this something we can join in together um, than them go to all the effort and the time of creating a piece that then is is missing the mark. And, and sometimes I guess people don't feel like they're allowed because they know that you're busy or whatever. Um, but I suppose in the long run, th- that will save you time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for us who are briefing, we need to make sure that we give the 
the copywriter the time. We give them those opportunities to, to ask the questions because otherwise we're putting them in an impossible situation. So, yeah, very much there's a there's a responsibility on the on the briefer to uh, to support and enable and to to allow the, the person and to, to help them also feel good about asking the questions. You know, sometimes the answer is no, that's not relevant here. And sometimes it's wow, brilliant connection. I, I hadn't thought of that myself. But um, as with all things, it's fine to ask the question and, and we need to make sure that the copywriter feels comfortable and isn't going to be made to feel stupid or anything for, for asking that question. So do you then find that things tend to go better where it's a written brief or if it's a briefing call or a combination of the two? How do you prefer to work and which gives the most opportunity for that clarification? I think both are good and quite often it's good to do both together. So maybe start with a written brief so the copywriter gets a chance to think with a little bit of calm and to maybe formulate some questions that they want to ask and some initial ideas um, and also then give something for everybody to go back to when you're just wanting to refresh yourself when you've been doing a different job and writing about a different topic but having the opportunity to speak and explore in person and and I think explain perhaps in a bit more detail than you would do in an email is also really helpful. So, but also you'd have to ask the copywriter, what would they prefer? Because I suspect different copywriters prefer different approaches. Some may prefer to just start with the conversation. Some may want to have a, a really detailed written brief. Can I ask about the uh, amends process, sort of when a piece maybe hasn't hit the mark? Um, is that something where when you go back with that feedback, do copywriters kind of get defensive at all? Or is it kind of all right for them to sort of push back if uh, if you or stakeholders have suggested changes? I think it's probably true for copywriting as, as much as, as any other job. You know, if somebody is giving you quality feedback that they've properly taken the time to consider and to convey back, then it is a it is a gift to take. Now, there's sometimes feedback that is just a personal opinion. And I think we need to make clear when we're giving feedback if something is a personal opinion or if it's just experience or if it's a factual thing. Um, and then maybe sometimes as as a copywriter, you've got expertise. Um, certainly, I'm sure every copywriter's grammar is better than mine. And it, it, so, so do push back if it's an area where you feel you you are the uh, are the expert. But generally, um, you know, if it's good and quality considered feedback, then um, then hopefully it's something that can can help with the with the the final piece. And probably the longer that you work with an organisation, the, the the better you'll get to know them. You'll better get to know their their style and and the type of uh, topics that they cover and the the approach they're looking for. So, um, in my experience, the longer we work together, the 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 fewer the amends as we go on. Do you find yourself sometimes sort of stuck in the middle between a copywriter and a stakeholder, or stuck between a copywriter and a, a subject matter expert who are sort of a at, at, at loggerheads, and sometimes I kind of feel for the, the marketer being being stuck in the the middle there. What what's that like? That's where you have to say, okay, my job, my expertise is to be the person in the middle and to be the person who is representing the audience we want to reach, and that's the hat I need to wear. What is going to resonate with the with the audience, and that's where I can add value between the subject matter expert and the copywriter is going, okay, great. You've both got really informed and interesting positions here, 
but let me play the play the role of the audience and that's that's my part in the process you know that's the value that that I bring how can a a copywriter best help you at, at that stage of the um of, of the process perhaps through explaining why they've done something in a particular way if there's a, a stakeholder and in our case quite often a very technical stakeholder who is saying something, um, it can be really valuable to have the outsider in terms of the copywriter share their opinion. You know, I don't know that term. That is not something that is commonly understood. That is really valuable feedback. Or the reason I structured this particular part in this way is because of you know ABC. Um, so yeah, explaining their reasoning because there's also a lot of skill and thought and expertise that goes behind those words. And that also helps communicate and convey it to the to the subject matter expert. So uh, comments in the margins, that kind of thing that will kind of help you and kind of inform that that conversation. Is there anything else that you finally wish that while you have the ear of copywriters, is there anything else you wish they did differently? So copywriters are hugely, hugely valuable. They create wonderful pieces. They turn thoughts and ramblings into coherent uh, stories that really help get across what we're about. So great copywriters are are fabulous. Um, I think the thing, a final thing I'd sort of say is, is that when we're briefing a copywriter, particularly for an interview situation where it's going to be interviewing perhaps colleagues, perhaps it's customers, perhaps it's other people in the wider industry, you're representing me. I'm putting you in front of senior leaders in my organization. I'm putting you in the hand of my customer whose business we really value and whose business we really wish to maintain. Um, you are the representation of me. And I know that you know, that is, is widely understood, but I think it's probably worth emphasizing because I think that's the that's probably the nervousness from my side more than anything else you know the the actual copy that comes back we can work on that but the experience that the interviewee has with the copywriter that's not going to change that's the impression that they're going to walk away with um and that is therefore probably the thing that is most important because um that's going to make or break other relationships and perhaps have a wider business impact so I'd say just bear in mind you're representing the person who briefs you, you're representing their organization as, as well. So we're placing a huge amount of trust in you. Um, and it's almost always repaid a uh, hundredfold, but you are being entrusted with, with our perspectives and our representation. Oh, thanks, Sally. That is a really helpful and balanced response. And there's loads of practical input for uh, all the copywriters listening. Um, Harry, I know you've got to have some views on this. So <laughs> what stood out for you there? Well, I mean, I like having managed writers in my life, I, I know how annoying we can be. <laughs> and having been managed by writers, I know how annoying we can be. Um, but you know, I think Sally's definitely clocked the most annoying thing. Um about briefing of copywriters and it's it's really when you just don't listen. I've been this guy um, more times than I'd care to admit. And I think, uh, generally speaking, 
when copywriters are going into a briefing, it's a moment of like high excitement for them um, on, on multiple different levels. Like you might be really nervous about like, I don't want to say something stupid in front of the smart person. Or you might be like, I'm really excited to talk about this brief because I've got some ideas that I want to, you know, pitch the client um, that would fit this brief and I can't wait to tell them or whatever. And actually, I think really the important thing that, and you just learn this over the years from like doing it time after time, is just like put all that stuff aside and just go into the room and listen and just sit there and be a dummy. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just like like the other person in the room is by definition smarter than you. That's why they're briefing you because they know more than you do. And so just like let it in, hear it the way they're saying it. Don't hear it the way you wish it was. Um, these are all obviously really hard things to do and you, you get better at doing them over time. Um, but I think uh, really the big thing is, is just like, enjoy being the dummy just like yeah. chill mm-hmm. just ask your stupid clarifying question or you know test you know oh i thought this would be a good thing that we could do you know just say the things that you need to say because i think when if you spend 20 minutes really doing someone the courtesy of listening to them they'll listen back <laughs> like they'll be happy <laughs> to talk to you about the thing it's it's a lot easier that way um but it, it can be hard and definitely the most annoying thing i think the copywriters can do yeah i mean i think Catherine Wildman, I think, in a, a previous episode, was kind of get, shared a tip about intelligent naivety. Yeah. Which I think is great, which is, you know, actually pretending you're dumber than you are. Right. Just, just to be that blank canvas, right. just to represent the, uh, the audience. Yeah, exactly. Which is a, a really tricky thing to, to do, particularly in an area like ours where you're aware mm-hmm that they've hired a specialist B2B writer or a specialist B2B tech writer for a reason. Yeah. Because they don't want to have to go right back to zero. Exactly. And so you kind of want to show that you know the area. And there's there's a real balance there because you don't want to cross-pollute with you know, too many of your, your own ideas. Exactly. There's that There's that idea from the, is it from the Karma Sutra, you know, of like oh. beginner's mind? You know, right, and and right. I, I think it applies here. You know, the stuff from your your old partners should not, you know, color the stuff with your new partners. I think it's the same with clients a little bit. You've got to do a thread on like what B two B marketers can learn from the Kama Sutra. <laughs> you just have to do that. You just have to make that happen. Um, no, I, 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 you you haven't heard my ebook, <laughs> e-book on that. <laughs> That's a whole different podcast series. <laughs> I think the. The, the really the challenging thing, I think, um, that the, in an ideal world, the client and the copywriter and really any other creative representative in, involved in the briefing, you're all trying to shape something together that fits obviously the client's vision of like reality and like what will pan out and, and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. then also all your own little weird artistic, you know, mm, this is a good way to say this or whatever, you know, whatever you think might be. Um, and you're trying mm-hmm. to get to that place where you're shaping it together. And I think like ground zero on that is that like when the other person's briefing you, you hear what they're saying, even if it isn't in the words they're saying, you're like, you're really trying to understand the intent behind the briefing as well. Um, and mm-hmm. so like listening is like, it's, you know, um, it's not just sitting there thinking nothing. It's like, it's, it's really paying close attention to what they mean and what they're prioritizing and all this like invisible in, be- in between the lines stuff, you know, all the good stuff. And like being that, you know, Sally was saying that she's the avatar kind of for the 
audience yeah. for the reader. Yeah. You know, that, that's real, you know, that's important, you know, being that Correct. all the time sitting, sitting in their seat, I think is so important. Yeah, and this is so. I mean, you know, uh, uh, there's obviously at the end of the spectrum. There's another kind of like weird little issue that comes up, which is you can know a client so well that you have an amazing shorthand with them, and you have these awesome, fluid, four-minute briefing sessions where they just go ebook, top of funnel, difficult, you know, and you go, I know what you mean, and you know, and you go ahead and you like you make this thing, and it's like that that thing of like the avatar for the the uh, for the the customer or the prospect. I think is so much of that is, is that like they don't have any other context. They don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> like they have no like they have, like they don't know where this company is coming from and where this like you know uh, the stuff that they're preaching is coming from, where this best practice advice is coming from, any of that stuff. And so you do have to like you you need you need to be able to both go down to zero and think about it like a smart prospect would be thinking about it and how they would be approaching it. Absolutely. Um, Sally's not actually the only person to have answered this question for us. I think we alluded to this earlier. Um, I got a whole bunch of... Sally was the only one that was brave enough to put a name on it, uh, but I did get a whole bunch of anonymous responses as well. Um, it seems there's actually quite a lot that annoys marketers about copyrighters. So we picked the best few. Um, we'll play those in, and you can tell me what you think just off the top of your head. Okay? Cool. I wish B2B copywriters understood that people in B2B are still people. They may not be in their primary role as a consumer when they're reading the copy you've written, but we can talk to them as if they are. They're still humans. They don't need dozens of fluffy buzzwords to understand a concept or engage with your content without dumbing it down or doing your content a disservice. Write as a human to another human in a conversational and human way. That's hard to argue with. I mean, I do feel sure that we can be more annoying than that. I think we can be worse than that. That's worse. Yeah, I think that's the worst thing. No, okay, this is no. the top four. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, we, we need yeah. a good top three. Like, we need to burn this into people's backs or something. The, <laughs> the thing that's interesting about this is a... It's like a B2B tech writer that's gone native, right? Yeah. I think every yeah. B2B tech writer comes into it yeah. trying to weed out the buzzwords yeah. and trying to get away from that stuff. And probably at the end, just, you know, the whole career of having to get things signed off. Yeah. In the end, they just assume that they have to write that way. Uh, you know, I, and it's, I, I think there's a switch that gets flicked. No, definitely, point. definitely. It's it's kind of like inertia, right? It's like the, the natural mm. gravity in this space is that like, uh, you know, and this is the uncomfortable thing. If you want to efficiently work with many different clients in B2B, uh, actually, the consequence of that might be that there's a whole lot of buzzword nonsense in your thing because you're just like writing. Your your audience is the marketing department paying your bills, and that's kind of the extent of it. Um, mm. But uh, no, writing for humans, definitely good. I'd, I'd love to see a B2B company try to talk to people as if they were cats. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's. Imagine if that works. Imagine if that's amazing. <laughs> Genius beats be catnip. You heard it here first. Okay, yeah, the yeah. next one. My pet hate is briefing an agency that then subs out copywriting to someone who wasn't in the room. Ooh. Okay. Okay. Now we're talking. <laughs> now we're getting into some really good stuff. Because and let me just say this first as like a very small point of defense on behalf of agencies because I've been in that situation. I've been in every version of that situation. Like I've been the guy outside the room. 
I've been the guy like telling the guy inside the room to give it to the guy outside the room. Like I've been through mm-hmm. all the permutations of this, and it can work. Like I've seen this work. It can. There are times when there's someone who's outside the room who you've never spoken to, and you didn't expect them to work on it, and then they do something, and it blows your mind. That can happen, and I think actually a lot of the magic you're paying for with an agency is that that possibility that that could happen. Mm. Now that said, this is the worst thing. I hate this one. This it's so irritating. It's so um, frustrating to, especially I think when clients really do the agency the kind of courtesy of bringing their best self to the briefing, they're prepared, they've like thought about the session, I'll explain this, then I'll explain this and he'll get it, you know, whatever, like they've really thought about doing the briefing well and then they do the briefing and then it's like some random who didn't even like clock all the important stuff they were talking about in the, oh, that's the worst, it's so annoying. Um, So I relate hard. I love it. The worst thing about briefing a copywriter is when the copywriter's not there. Yeah, how's about that? How's about that? When the individual hasn't understood the client's tone or style of writing and so returns with the monotone or off-voice style, take more time to review the client's historic style and tone, please. Yeah, that's just basics, man. That's, you know, it's like, it's 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 basics and you'd, you'd hope that every copywriter is, you know, doing this kind of a thing. But I think it's really good to hear this from the horse's mouth, like from the mouth of someone who's annoyed and irritated by it. Because I think especially with younger writers, I think there's a part of us that believes that this client doesn't know what they want. Um, Once I make this thing, they'll understand how good it is. Like they'll see it in the finished product and I'll blow their mind and it'll be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that's an important part of you to keep. You should always be trying to do that with a client. But really, the first audience you need to know, like we talk about know your audience and stuff, the first audience you have to know is the dude or lady who at like 6, 17 p.m. on a Friday is saying to her, you know, office friends, like, no, you guys go to the pub, I'll catch up with you later or whatever. Um, I'm going to open this document that this stranger has sent me. Um, And I'm just really desperately hoping (laughs) that like what's in this document isn't professionally embarrassing to me. (laughs) You know, that like it just doesn't look like it's come from someone who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about or whatever. And that's the first hurdle you have to clear as a copywriter. It's like, that's the first person you got to be empathetic to, I think. Definitely on, on, on the B2B side, but I think that's true on the B2C side as well. Um, maybe they're more deferential out there. Um, it's really annoying. It's like you need to know how the person you're working for wants to represent themselves. And no idea you have is more important than that. I have experienced two recurring issues. One, not being able to speak the language of the target audience or decision makers. We had a Gen Z copywriter who was writing content directed at senior C-suite executives. 50-60 year old mostly male individuals. This doesn't necessarily mean jargon but definitely some corporate terminology that CHROs or CFOs would relate with. Increase revenue, decrease costs in some way or the other. We had to go through a few rounds and I had to describe our audience in detail for them to do a good job. 2. The whole features instead of benefits angle. Quite a few times, content and copy would be about what we provide rather than intelligently talking about the value add. And when this was explained, most copy was a direct here are five benefits of, which in my opinion doesn't really work. That, that sucks. 
<laughs> yeah. just, if you keep coming across that, that's awful. That's really bad. Um, I mean, I guess honestly, what all that tells me is that like the most annoying thing is bad copywriting. <laughs> like, yeah. nothing beats bad copywriting. <laughs> yeah, I think there's there's an element of this, and it's maybe something we should talk about on the on on this show that I know that Leaf Kendall at Pro Copywriters is. Yeah has for a while been talking about the idea of do we need some kind of accreditation for copywriters? Mm, mm. Because at the moment, anyone can stick a shingle outside their door and say, I'm a copywriter. And the more people who do that, who don't really embrace the craft, the more it it, it undermines the, the rest of us. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it's a weird one as well, because at at least... In the years I've been doing this, I, you know, over the years, you, you sort of try to collect as many absolute truths about the craft as you can. And I've got like an empty bag. <laughs> like I, I can never find any, you know, all pervades all industries and all contexts and all situations. Because B2B, we don't hang out because we like talking to companies. We hang out because we don't we don't sell shampoo. You know what I mean? We're like, we're united by what we don't do. Um, and that's about the extent of it. You know, yeah. like a service company and a SaaS company, it's like fundamentally different business models. And the way they approach markets are going to be completely different. The way they talk to people is going to be different. Um, and so it's it's hard. I mean, I, but I, I, it is a little frustrating when it's like, you know, someone has worked with seven bad copywriters in a row and then they go like, ah, marketing doesn't work or whatever. And it's like, no, you hired bad people. And I I don't know how to Mm. convince them of that. Like, I don't know how to demonstrate that to someone. So maybe accreditations would be good. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe it's good that Leaf's talking about this because I I really couldn't think of many people who would take on something like that, but like maybe Leaf's the guy, you know? Yep. Absolutely, Leaf. It's the ball's in your court. You make it. You make it happen, and we will support you. Good luck, dude. <laughs> okay, it is almost time for us to wrap up. But first, we do have our final inclusive writing tip from Etty Bailey King. Copywriting pro tip. You've probably heard people talking about person-first language or identity-first language. So what does this mean? Person-first language would put somebody's name first and they might say, Etty has depression. That's person-first language because the person's name or perhaps the pronoun talking about them comes first. You might say she has depression. And person-first language is really popular with a wide range of identities and often marginalised experiences. In many cases, we want to be referred to using person-first language because it puts the person back in the frame. I'm not defined by my depression. I'm still a real person with a full and rich identity separate from that. But many people actually want identity-first language. So what does identity-first language look like? Well, that might look like saying, I'm autistic. I'm schizophrenic. She's disabled. And in some cases, that community of people really, really wants to use identity-first language. It's really important that we find out what people's preferences are. So in the example of autism, many, many autistic people say that they really want their autism to be considered part and parcel of who they are. It is not a separate, trivial detail of their identity. It's absolutely integral. And that's why 
many autistic people will really, really want that language to be used. And if we don't respect that wish, then we're really undermining their right to express themselves and to be taken seriously given their identity. So what's the lesson that we can draw from this? Well, unfortunately, there isn't one simple tip as to whether you should always use person first or always use identity first. Brings us back to tip number one, which is that you must always ask. If you're looking for a rough rule of thumb, it's typically the case that identity first language is popular with people who have physical, motor and sensory disabilities. So for example, many deaf people want to say, I am deaf. They won't say, I am a person with deafness. So you can keep in mind that frequently identity first language is popular with certain physical, motor and sensory disabilities, but you always need to check. That's actually the last in the series of these tips. Uh, Etty, we are really grateful to you for sending them in. They've been so practical and thought-provoking over these last few months. And listener, if you want more information on inclusive and anti-oppressive language, you can find Etty at fightingtalk.uk or on Twitter at EttyBK. And of course, we also want to thank Fiona Campbell-Hose for uh, asking the question that kicked this whole thing off. Um, we hope you you feel like you were satisfied by the answers that we came across, that we did surface the annoying things uh, about grief and copywriters. Um, and so, of course, we, we would really like to thank Sally Adam from Sophos for such an honest, thought-provoking, good, uh, you know, correct answer, I think, to a difficult yeah, question. Really on. appreciate that. Um, and obviously, thank you to everyone who anonymously um, sent in their uh, comments. Um, and of course, the great Vicky Ross uh, for her pro tip. Thank you, Vicky. And thank you, Harry. You have been a fabulous guest co-host once again. I hope you, you, you'll come back again. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I would absolutely love to. Awesome. We'll look forward to that. In the meantime, if the listener wants to get in touch with you and find out more about the, the wonderful world of Harry Kapoor, where can they do that? Uh, you can reach me, uh, the quickest way to reach me is probably on my Twitter, which is uh, at rupees100, um, probably easier to just search for my name. Um, but also, if you want to work with me, then probably best to find me on LinkedIn. Great. And we'll put a link in the, uh, the, the show notes uh, as well. Remember, listener, it could be your question we answer in a future episode. If you have a question for B2B Q&A to answer, email a voice memo to podcast at radix-communications.com or find us on social media. I'll see you next time for another B2B Q&A. Until then, make good content and remember, one day you will die, but the content you publish will live forever. Thanks a bunch, Google. Bye! Goodbye. <laughs>